few years ago, someone gave me a story about a woman that went into a Ben and Jerry's ice cream parlor in the Kansas City Plaza for an ice cream cone. And while she was ordering, another customer entered in while she was picking up her ice cream cone. Another customer entered in, she placed her order, found herself as she grabbed her ice cream cone face to face. She wrote in the article with the movie screen star, Brad Pitt. He was in town filming, his, she said his blue eyes made her knees buckle. She finished paying, quickly walked out of the store, her heart was still pounding, and then after she gained her composure, she realized she didn't have her ice cream cone. So she turned back in, and who did you think she met coming out of the store? Again, Brad Pitt, who was coming out, and he spoke and said, are you looking for your ice cream cone? Unable to even utter a word, she nodded yes. He said, you put it in your purse, with your change. <laughs> I kept thinking of that story and thought this to myself. When was the last time that the presence of God made you forget what was going on? When was the last time that the presence of God made you even forget the dishes? Made you forget a ball game? made you forget looking for your keys because it's 12.45 and the service is supposed to end, made you forget bank account, made you forget what's ahead, in a sense, made you forget your ice cream. I keep thinking, as we began to experience the presence of God, and I just said, Lord, I want to be overwhelmed. I want to be so overwhelmed that I forget my ice cream cone. I want to be so overwhelmed with your presence. It was Annie Dillard who writes on how cavalier we treat the presence of God when we come Sunday after Sunday and get a chance to experience God coming in, whether you're online in your, in your apartment or whether you're watching from Russia or China or Austria, wherever you're watching from, I truly believe God's not limited to a building. God can touch you wherever you're watching at today. And this is what Andy Dillard said. I, I want to read to you the words, and I thought they were so potent that I, that I wanted to put as many as I can on the screen. This is what she said. She said, reverence and awe have been replaced by the yawn of familiarity in the church. The consuming fire has been domesticated into a candle flame. It just adds a bit of atmosphere to the room now. There's no heat, no blinding light, she says. There's no power of purification when God comes in. She says, does anyone have the foggiest idea of what sort of power we invoke when we call upon God. She said, or as I suspect, there's no one believe a word of it. And then she says this. She says, it's madness to wear fancy hats to church. She goes, we should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flash. She, she goes, they should latch us to our pews. She said, because for the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return again to. That's what I want to believe for God to do today. I want to believe for God as we go into this new year, as we believe for God to pour out his Holy Spirit, to revive his church. My friend Winky Pratney from New Zealand says this about revival. He said, revival is when God gets sick and tired of being misrepresented that he just finally shows up himself. He just said, I've had enough is enough. 
Now it's time for me to show up to the church. See, that's why when the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt and they were given what we know today as the Ten Commandments, isn't the first commandment very interesting? Listen to what God tells them when they came out. He said, then God spoke all these words and said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here's his first command. You shall have no other gods before me. Stop for a moment, church, and think about this. It's worth noting that God gave this commandment of no other gods, not to pagans, but to Israel. He gave it to a people that believed in the living God. He gave it to a very people. Why? Because he knew his own people can minimize or even dumb God down to their own liking and to their own comfortability. And sometimes we come to church like this and, and when it gets uncomfortable, we need to find another church. And that uncomfortability may be as we're encountering for the first time the presence of God. See, for my, for the, as I kept praying about, God, what do you want me to share starting off this new year? And folks, I don't know nothing better to talk about than God himself and how great God is. I, I, I was thinking of C.S. Lewis's conversion, and this is the way he described it. He says, looking for God is like looking for a giant shark. You throw the line over the side and then the strike, and look at this, and now you have more than you can handle on the line. See, this is where I, I, I kept thinking that the problem that we in the church so many times face today is people are not encountering what Lewis says more than they can handle. Christianity is now coming to a nice, manageable church that we can find connections and relationships. Listen to me, nothing wrong with that, but missing an encounter with God. We, we, have, replaced, we have replaced connecting here instead of encountering here. And all of a sudden, we think that because we're growing this way, we have forgotten that we have lost the line that has, that has God on it that wants to encounter every one of us. See, folks, listen. That's why A.W. Tozer said it best. He said it's scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a church where the only attraction is God. The only attraction is God. We have to juggle and flip things and set things on fire now. We have to have things float in the air when, when all of a sudden we have everyone else being ministered to and every, encountering everyone else, but nobody's encountering the living God. Folks, it's not about the significance of man. It's about the greatness of God. That's what this is all about. And folks, that's where God needs to bring us to that very place that the, chief, the church once believed that the chief purpose of man was to glorify God. But now it's been reversed. Now the chief purpose of God is to glorify man and what we want. And we're missing something in the church. And that's why, let me just give you a, a, a kind of a flight plan for today, what I want to do. I, I want to speak on the greatness of God for just the next few moments. I'm going to spend, I'm gonna, when, when I start listing my points, point one, point two, and point three, I'll be done in five minutes, but my introduction is really long. So that's why I want to just 
give you a little bit. So when you start hearing point one, don't get nervous. I'm going to be quick at that point, but I've got, I've got some things I want to say. I want to talk to you from one of the oldest books in the Bible. We forget that he is a contemporary of Abraham. They probably lived at the same time, historians tell us, and his name is Job. After reading Job's word, Job reminded me of that giant shark on the line, not realizing I've got more than I can handle. Job's words that I read yesterday made me forget my ice cream cone as I started to read these words. Listen to what Job says as he is in a dialogue, which I'll let you know the context of in just a second. Job says these words. He says, these things, I'll describe that in a second, are merely a whisper of God's power at work. How little we would understand if his whisper ever turns to thunder. Listen to it again. He says, these things, I'll describe that because he lists them, are merely a whisper of God's power at work. How little we would understand if the whisper ever turned to thunder. And that's all I want to, I want to talk to you about. And that's just the whisper, just the whisper of what God is doing. But you're about to hear that whisper, not God at full power, but just God at a tone that is going to blow you away. That if this is God's whispering, wait, wait till God comes with full force. Verses 5 through 13 of Job 26 are going to be those things that describe the whisper. Last night, outside this door, people packed into Times Square to see a lighted ball drop, to catch a glimpse of the performers with their wild costumes and clothing, a stage so they can belt out their famous song. They were announcing to the world from the most famous spot on New Year's Eve, New York City, they were announcing, we are here, it is us. And it's amazing to me that when anybody of authority, anyone of authority walks in, they never have to say a word. Just their presence is enough for people to stop and look. And that's what God does here in Job chapter 26. It, it's not even him speaking but him coming and doing what he always does, that all of a sudden you stop and it makes you forget the ice cream cone. It makes you forget everything. Here's the context of those words. The full force of those remarkable words, and that's just a whisper, can only be felt as you read the verses that are around it. Job is engaged in a dialogue with what we call Job's counselors. There's three of them. And his name is Bildad, Bildad the Shuite. Remember, Job is facing the trial of his life. This is important. He's facing the trial of his life. He has lost everything. Everything has, has gone from him. And his so-called friends, here it comes, have a textbook answer for him for the most painful moment of his life. Bildad has taken it upon himself to tell Job that the reason why he's suffering, the reason why he lost everything, the reason why this last year has been tough is because God is punishing him because there must be some sin in your life. And we know from Job 1.1, Bildad is even wrong because the Bible starts off the whole book and says Job is a righteous man. 
He is pleasing to God. He is, for how he is raising his family. We already know that Bildad is wrong. It's amazing that all of a sudden, this young man wants to come from a textbook and say, this is what you're going through. This is what it is. I read it in a book. I was flying not too long ago and getting on a plane, and they said that the weather's gonna be bad as we get ready to take off, but we're gonna try to get over the weather but it's really gonna be bumpy most of the way. Well, that's not what you wanna hear. But I saw the pilots from where I was sitting. I was looking to see as some of these pilots came on the plane because they were got on a little bit late. And I saw two pilots that were coming towards our gate. One of them, his suit was all finely pressed and he had this jet black hair and, and he walked in like, like everything. But, he, but thank God, he walked right by because the guy behind him was this old guy, wrinkles in his face, his suit was wrinkly, and his pilot bags were beat up, which told me he's been there before. Let me just tell you something. I didn't want, I didn't want Rico Suave flying my flights. I wanted Jed Clampett flying my airplane because I wanted the guy who's been there before. I didn't want the guy looking in the textbook going like, now what does this mean? Let me just make sure I understand. I wanted the guy who said, I've been there, done that. I can get this off the ground and get this to where. I was so happy that that old man sat in that chair number one on that plane that took us up. And I felt that as I was reading this chapter, I felt like here's Job. Who is, who is in this spot, who's, who has the, the beat up bag and the wrinkled suit, and here's the young man with the textbook from seminary going, here's the problem, you, you did this, it's on page 33, here it is. And Job is about to take him to task. Job is about to go, put your textbook away, and let me tell you about God. Let me tell you what he is about. It's always the challenge. The challenge for the generation that's coming up is to be able to listen to the generation that is old, gray, and has already flown through these weathers. But it has to be that old generation that knows how to communicate to the younger generation on how this goes. Because the problem is I have a young generation that won't listen, and I have an older generation that doesn't know how to talk. And so if we can get those two things together, we can teach this old guy, this old man, since last week, is now able to begin to say, this is where we're going. This is what God wants to do, and Job is doing that. But you have to hear Job's beginning words as Bildad goes, here's, here's what you're going through. Read it in a book, and the problem is, is A, B, and C. And I love the first couple verses because it's dripping with sarcasm. Listen to what Job says. Here's what Job says. Job said, you've really been helpful to someone weak and weary. This is all sarcasm, folks. He's not, he doesn't mean a word of this. He says, you've given great advice and wonderful wisdom to someone truly in need. And look at this next verse. He goes, how can anyone possibly speak with such understanding? Folks, this is, 
This is classic. I want to read it to you out of the message. The message says it like this. He goes, what wonderful advice you've given to a mixed up man. What amazing insights you've provided. Where in the world, pray tell, did you learn all this? And how have you become so inspired? And it's at this point that I have, Joe basically says, strap in, put on your seatbelts, crash helmets, put your tray tables up, I'm about to take you on a flight and it may get bumpy. And I want you to understand, he's about to take a tour of God's greatness from a man who's been through it and is right now speaking while he is in his personal mess. Job, listen church, has lost 10 children to a tragedy, 10 coffins this man had to bury. Job is bankrupt and homeless. Job is sick. And the only one that he has left is his wife that I'm not even sure he wanted her around. And now he is faced, because his wife was the one who goes, curse God and die. And this is Job now going, my marriage is on the rocks. I have no more children. I'm homeless. I'm bankrupt. I have nothing except I have a great God who is able to take me through this situation. I was reading the story of a Philadelphia pastor who taught religion at a university. He once was confronted by an atheist student who was one, one, of his, one of the students in his class that he was teaching world religion, but he was speaking as a, as a minister, but he knew he had atheists in the class. The young man said to his professor, I put it on the screen, he said, for me to believe in your God, I have to have a God that I can understand. I love the response. The old godly professor said, God refuses to be that small. And God will not allow you to put him in your box. Listen to me, preachers, and, and listen to me, leaders. He won't go into your denominational box. He won't go into your church box. He won't go to any box that you want to. God is greater, and he busts through boxes. He busts, he busts through. Listen, you can try to formulize God, formulize, for, put a formula and say, this is the way it works, and this is the way things grow, and this is the way you encounter. And I'm here to tell you, God will break through formulas. God will break through everything. One good pandemic will upset everything. But let me just tell you this. When that happens, find the old pilots that know how to get the plane in the air, that know how to fly it across, and knows how to land that thing. And Job is about to go, sit down, young man. I'm about to tell you something. This is what he says. He says this to him. Job displays God's power in four realms. He says, I'm going to tell you about the underworld. I'm going to tell you about the earth, the sea, and the sky. Now, these are not my numbers, so don't, don't, don't think I'm ending. These are not, this is still introduction. These are, this is number one in the introduction. So here we go. Job talks about the underworld. It's a word that's used there. Underworld is just another word for death. Those that have gone on. Listen to it. Verse 5. The dead tremble. Those who live beneath the waters. The underworld is naked in God's presence. The place of destruction is uncovered. It, 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 Job takes him all the way into death. And Job tells us, that death and destruction, I love these words, are naked and uncovered in God's presence. He says they stand there as an embarrassment, like 
They lost their clothing in the presence of a holy God. Why? Because death has been swallowed up in victory. The sting has been removed. That the moment Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says the keys of death and hell have been brought into his possession at that moment. And death and the underworld stands there like it has no clothes on because it's embarrassed to know I'm standing in the presence of the God who is in control of death. Death doesn't control us. God is in control now. Listen to it. Death has been swallowed up in victory, the Apostle Paul says. Where, O oh death, is your victory? And where, O oh death, is your sting? We live in a world that tries to fight death in every way to keep ourselves alive. Death has no power over the one who has conquered it. What does it mean? Our life is not over until God says it's over. Folks, I, I have to tell you this, and this is good for me to say for myself. There is not a disease, a murderer, an evil man, even a doctor, a scientist can't determine when life is over for us because it doesn't belong to them. They don't have the keys. It belongs to God himself. Listen to what God said. In, or David wrote under the inspiration of God. He said, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. What he was saying was, was this, God knows your days. God is the one that has ordained your days. He knows how long your days are gonna be. He knows that folks, that no matter what happens, God goes, if that's not in your part of the day I ordain, then that will not be in charge of ending your days. Listen. I'm going to tell you a story that I, I, I've never shared here because it's, I didn't want her to ever be embarrassed, and I don't, I don't believe she will. I've, my mom, who is 100 years old, I'm going to see her in a couple weeks again. I try to get down there and see her. 100 years old, just stopped driving about three, four years ago. She drove, I drove her through one time. She is scary. <laughs> I sat there and, and, and just thought, listen, this is, this is not good. So I want to tell you my story of ordained days. Never shared this here. My sister is 15 years older than me. And my brother is 10 years older than me. My sister's 15 years older. My brother is 10 years older, and I was an unexpected gift to our family. My mom said this to me. She said, when you came along, we were done with diapers and bottles. I had a boy, I had a girl, and I was done. She said, when I found out that I was pregnant from the doctor, she said, I cried. I cried that I was pregnant with you. And my mom had me, and here's, there's two catches to this story. My mom had me at 43 years old in 1963, which was very dangerous. Very dangerous. 43 years old, she was pregnant. She told me when I was in my mid-30s, she pulled me aside in Detroit, Michigan, and says, oh, I have to tell you a story I've been waiting to tell you. And I haven't shared it very much. I know I haven't shared it here. But my mom told me this story when I was 30 years old. This is where I knew my days were ordained and life and death is in God's hands. She said, when I was pregnant with you, it was very dangerous. The other two pregnancies were very, 
were very much, uh, for me, uh, complicated. And so when you came along, um, I, I knew there was gonna be complications. She said one morning in Long Island, New York, she woke up in the morning. My dad was already at the, at, at, on the police department. He was out of the house. She woke up with blood all over the bed. She started hemorrhaging. She called her doctor, who was in Manhattan at that time, and said, Sonia, I can't get there for hours. You need to stay in bed. Do not move because of this hemorrhaging. Prop your feet up. At your age, you've probably lost the baby. Um, and the amount of blood probably dictates that. But please, just stay still. Let me confirm that. And here's the part she told me. She said, Tim, she said, I, I, I'm telling you this because I have to tell you. You've been a blessing. I'm so grateful for you, but I want to tell you. Waited till I was 38 years old to tell me. She said, when I found out that the doctor said, stay still, don't move. If you haven't lost the baby, then let's just, let's just hopefully, maybe this will save it if you just stay absolutely still. She said, I went to the garage. I got a jump rope and jumped rope for 20 minutes trying to lose the baby. She said, after 20 minutes, I felt something go off in my womb and thought, the baby's gone. I went back upstairs. I did exactly what the doctor said from the jump rope time on. <laughs> Stood still, waited for the doctor. She said, when the doctor came, he said, Sonia, thank you for being absolutely still and not doing anything, the baby is fine. Regardless of a jump roping Russian lady, let me just tell you something right now, God ordained my days. That it wasn't dictated by a jump rope, it wasn't dictated by anyone else that wanted to take my life. It is dictated by, and so is your life today, that no matter what has happened in your past, you're here today. You know why you're here today? Because God ordained your days for you to be here today. And if God ordained me to be at TSC and you to be at TSC, I just can tell you this. God is a great God. God is a great God. Job says death isn't in charge. God's in charge of all this. Job speaks about the earth. Listen to this. I have to tell you that the earth, let, let me just give you these numbers. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. Weighs, here it comes, 16 septillion tons. That is a number with 21 zeros. Spins at 1,000 miles per hour without flipping into outer space. Orbits the sun at 1,000 miles per hour on an orbit that's 580 mil miles long, and listen to what Job says. God stretches the northern sky over empty space. Here it comes, and hangs the earth on nothing. What? What? Matthew Henry, the great, the great Puritan, the great Puritan um, commentator says this. He says, the art of man couldn't hang a feather on nothing, yet the divine wisdom hangs the whole globe on nothing. 16 septillion tons hanging in midair. How? 
because God is great. God is great. Job turns to another miracle of nature, the floating reservoirs that are above our world. And he says he, he wraps the rain in thick clouds and the clouds don't burst with the weight. He whispers and millions of farmers get rain. Think of this. Every year, a half a million gallons of water come on acreage per acre all over the world, free of charge, free of charge. Or go to Yankee Stadium, $10 for a bottle of water. God goes, I'll give it to you for free. And does this, whispers and rains upon the farmers. And that's just the whisper. Listen to verse 9. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with his clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the water, set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke, speaking at any moment that this planet is, could be uneasy. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in an earthquake before? It is the most helpless feeling in the world. I've been in an earthquake when I was in Rwanda. My hotel room started shaking, and there is nothing you can do. I was in Brooklyn, New York, and an earthquake hit New York City. My, the, the office started moving back and forth. It's amazing. And these are just whispers of God. He finally ends it with the seas display his glory. Listen to verse 12. By his power, he stills sea storms, and by his wisdom, he tames sea monsters. With one breath, he can clear the sky, and with one finger, he can crush the sea serpent. That's amazing to me. He can still the storm, and he can tame the monster. He can clear a sky, and he can crush a serpent, which means nothing is out of his control. God calms storms and clears skies. God tames monsters and crushes serpents. You know what that tells me, church? There's not a storm you face that God doesn't have power over. And there's not a serpent you battle that God can't crush like that. He rises to the climax as we end and the band comes to verse 14. He shows that when everything can be said about God, he says, this is what he says. He says, it's only a whisper. This is only a whisper. Listen to what he says. He finishes all this underworld. He goes to the sky, the seas. He goes to the earth, and this is what he says. These things are merely a whisper. Hanging the globe on nothing, a whisper. He says, that's all this is. Letting the rain begin to come upon all this land all over the world, it's a whisper. How little we understand if this whisper ever turned to thunder. Job was saying, listen, I just started. Don't get me started, young man. I know you got your little textbook and you're looking for the answers to what I'm going through, but don't get me started. I'm just talking about a whisper. Don't even get me going when God starts lifting up the, the, the volume of his voice. Here's my conclusion. And this is where I close. If that's just the whisper, there are three questions that I want you to answer today. Three quick questions. Three questions to answer if that's just the whisper. You ready for this? And you need to hear this today. Here it comes. Number one, if that's just the whisper, then whom shall you fear? If that's a whisper, whom shall you fear? If the whispering creation God before us 
And who can be against? Listen, that's Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? How big is your God? Job just laid out how big God is. Even in the midst of his trials, he says, the eyes serve a great God. What possibly could 2023 throw at you that you are not able to respond and say, wait a second, I know a God that can whisper and hang a globe in outer space. Is there anything in 2023 that I can't handle? And some of you are sitting here trying to, thinking, man, I'm going into 2023, how am I going to handle this? I've got to do the math on this situation. I've got to make this thing work. I kept thinking about that. Think about this. How do you leave 3.5 million people out of Egypt? And all you've done for 40 years has been shepherding. How, how, how do you do the math of making the budgets work? Well, here's what's crazy. You do the math and it doesn't even add up. But it's interesting is that the U.S. quartermaster general is a person who is in charge of the army supplies for the, the supplies for the whole entire United States Army. They do the math for these kind of things. And some genius from Washington, D.C., you ready for this church, decided they would do the math for Moses. How do you get out 3.5 million people and you don't even know what you're doing? Let's just do this. You ready for this church? Here it comes. This is what they said when they calculated Moses' problem. Now, this is just bread and water. This is what they said. If you're going to feed three and a half million people, requires a lot of food. The U.S. Army Quartermaster General said Moses needed 1,500 tons of food every day. That is food filling two freight trains each a mile long. Every day he needed that. I don't even think Moses is going like, let me get my iPhone out and see, are we going to have enough to, to do this? How about water? You ready for this? If they only had enough water to drink, they need 11 million gallons of water each day. 11 million gallons of water each day. Well, according to Job chapter 26, he's the one that controls the reservoirs in the sky. So when he whispers, here's what's amazing, 11 million gallons each day, that's 1,800 miles long of train tanker cars to feed three and a half million people. And you get ready for this church, that's for 40 years. 40 years. This wasn't just one miracle day. 40 years. No way Moses sat down and figured out the logistics. All he knew was this, let my people go. You know what, God? You got the rest because I don't even know what to do. All I can say is, how great is our God? 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 How great! Those in China, Russia, Austria, Italy, our God is great. Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia, Malaysia, and India, God is great and greatly to be praised. Stand with me. Number two, if that's just a whisper, then why won't we worship him? The church today sits back with lattes in their hands. That's why we don't, we, we can't even lift our hands because everybody's got a coffee in their hand today. 
put all that aside, put down everything. Why, why do you sit in a place like this with no, we're a no latte church and nobody does anything. Your hands are free. How can you sit there with a God that hangs the globe on nothing? How can you sit there with a God who's ordained your days and in worship sit there like this? How, 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 can, we, how can we sit, balcony, when all of a sudden the choir is singing to us, you are the strength of my life, you are the source of my, and we can't even get up and just go, you are the source of my strength. Here it is. I watched the last few days. You want to see how crazy people are? Watch these college football games. There's, it's freezing. They're pulling off their shirts. I'm not saying. And they're out there going, go, go, holding a painting stuff on themselves, screaming. Here's what's amazing. Ready for this? Not one player has paid your rent. Not one coach has healed your body. Not one university has changed your children. None of these people have ever given you a day, have given you a breath. But I know a God that has given you life today, that has given you every single thing that you need, everything that you need. And folks, it does, he doesn't deserve this. He deserves this. He deserves everything we have to say, you are worthy, oh God. You're worthy, oh God. Hallelujah. Listen to it. Folks, I'm just telling you, balcony, that should be the craziest place because we can barely see you. You should just, I mean, it should be crazy praise up there where all of a sudden we have to say stop because the balcony's going up and down in this hunt. You should be the craziest one because here's what the Bible says. Great is the Lord. What's the next part? And what? Let me say it again. Great is the Lord and which means this. If God is great, then our praise should match his greatness. If he's great, Let me just say something. Ricardo shouldn't be able even to get through a song. He shouldn't be able to get through a song. We, have, we should be going, hey, stop praising so we can do the second song. That's what it should be. If that's just a whisper, listen, then who do I fear? If that's just a whisper, then why won't I worship? And let me just close with this. Here it is. This is, the, this is fast. If that's just a whisper, then why won't you surrender your heart to God today? Why? What is it? Why won't you surrender your heart to God? Because one day, listen to me, balcony, one day the whisper will turn into thunder. That's when God makes all things right. That will be the final day, the judgment day. Right now, he is whispering. Can I tell you what he's whispering to some of you? I'm real. He's whispering to some of you, I love you. He's whispering to some of you, I am God and I am real. He's whispering to some of you, you are mine, you're my sons, you're my daughters. He's whispering to some of you, you can be born again. During the holidays, a university student gave his heart to the Lord, so when he went back to the dorm and to the frat, he came back as a Christian, left as an unbeliever, came back as a Christian. 
And all of his friends began to go like, what happened? Like, did you hear a voice? Like, did you see something? Did you hear a voice, get a vision? Did you hear God audibly? And the student just simply said this. He says, and I love this because he comes up with almost his C.S. Lewis thing. He goes, it's like when you catch a fish. I can't see the fish, hear the fish, but I felt the tugging on the line. That something was tugging me. And he said, and I knew God was real. What he didn't understand was he hooked a shark that was too big to handle. He hooked onto the God of heaven and earth, the God that whispers and globes hang, God who whispers and skies clear, storms get calm, a God who whispers and says, death is in my control. If that's only a whisper, whom shall we fear? If that's only a whisper, then why won't we worship? And if that's only a whisper, why wouldn't you surrender your heart to that kind of God? Why would, you, why would you walk out of here and, and go back to normality when God goes, from this point on, your life can be changed. Everything can be changed. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads for one second. God is here. His presence is here. As the team comes, I'd like us to sing, if we could, How Great Is Our God, that, that, that old song. But here's what I just want to say to you balcony, main floor, those that are watching all over the world, those that are watching from St. Lucia in Puerto Rico, those that are with us from the Dominican, those that are watching from Canada, from the UK, Norway, those that are sitting with us today from Spain and Italy, from France, all everyone that's in this room today, if that's just a whisper that you heard from the old captain who said, I'm flying through the storm, and why won't you surrender? Today could be a day of surrender. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? It's a day of surrender. He's knocking on the door of your heart today. He's knocking. He said, let me change you from the inside out. Let me come in and start, start a brand new life. Some of you are going like, man, I've messed up my life so much. Man, I wish I had a do-over. Here's the greatest thing. The words that Jesus uses is, he says, you could be born again today as if you have a brand new start. You can have a brand new start today. If that's just a whisper, that God blows all of us away and says, I love you, I am real, I want you to be my son and daughter. And today, that can happen. It's a born again relationship where God comes in and changes us from the inside out. It starts with an admission that I'm a sinner, but you're a God that loves me and can change me. And I need your forgiveness. It starts with believing that what you did on the cross for me matters, that I can't get myself to heaven, but it was the work of Calvary, a substitution work, substitution, that I should have been on that cross, but you died for me, and then God hears my life, that sea, confessing you as Lord, take my life, not just on Sundays, but every single day. If that's just a whisper, would you surrender your life to him today? Would you say, God, come in and change me? God, forgive me. God, I give you my life today. I'm not asking you to join a church, a denomination, or a religion. I'm asking you to walk hand in hand with the God that is in charge of everything. And your life can be changed. You don't get a label. You're not a TSC -er. You become sons and daughters of the Most High God, His children. And if you're here today, before we do one, 
more thing. It's the most important question you can ever be asked. Have you been born again? And if you today, balcony, main floor, online, say, Pastor Tim, if you're going to, as you pray that born again prayer with us today in this room, I want to be included in that with every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you include me in that? Whether you're visiting for the first time, maybe you're the guest of somebody. You say, Pastor Tim, would you just include me in that prayer? I want to start a journey with God today. I want God to come in and change me. If that's you, without any hesitation, every head bowed and every head bowed and every eye closed. But would you just pray for me? Would you hold up your hand? Just say, put me in that prayer today. Hold it up as high as you can. I want to see, I want to see every hand that's up. Keep them up. Keep them up. There's so many in this area. Keep them up. I want to make sure over there, anybody else, I want to make sure. I just, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. You could put your hands down right now. Okay, here's what I want us to do. Can we all pray this together? Let's, let's pray this to start this journey. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, put your hands Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.